0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you stories about how Gen Z is different from their millennial predecessors through the lens
2: of food. My knowledge of alcohol didn't really come from like Bud Light commercials or like Project X.
1: Yeah, and that's my gripe with the platform as well, is that all these DIY videos, cooking videos, they're 20 seconds.
2: What's one food item from your childhood that you wish you could have today? Dunkaroos because they don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Although the Dunkaroos Twitter was activated again a year ago, so it's only a matter of time. They've tweeted a couple times. It's pretty hype.
1: Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's food news and storytelling roundup wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, or if you know any kids, I've been working on a new podcast here at Heritage Radio Network. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, who's the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We release a new episode every week, and we just launched our second season, so you've got plenty of catching up to do. I'd also like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio is a non We need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org to make your gift. Today's theme... It's a bird. It's a plane. In these unprecedented times, it's nice to get some good news. And today's show is about something that has been happening before COVID-19, but it has taken off, gained a life of its own, and really reached superhero status, in my opinion. I'm talking about the free fridge movement. Perhaps you've seen them in person or online. Fridges painted with murals outside of shuttered businesses or in front of residential buildings, stocked with awesome produce and delicious food, supported by a distributed network within each community. The ideas of the free fridge aren't new. They're certainly born out of the Food Not Bombs movement and soup kitchens and food pantries that have been helping people have enough to eat for generations. They're popping up all over the place, and they are amazing. We have lots of food. It's just not always distributed in a way that makes sense or makes it easy for people to access. These fridges are not meant to replace emergency food availability in times of crisis, but they are meant to be a place for communities to gather, share food, and access food that often comes from the heart, and it's meant to nourish. My guest today is Jasmine Johnson, who's part of a small group who run the Barrio Fridge in East Harlem. Please check them out at 339 East 108th Street, East Harlem, or online at The Barrio Fridge on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find them on Facebook. They also have a GoFundMe if you'd like to donate jasmine thank you so much for (laughs) sitting down to talk with me today um can you introduce yourself and you know when uh in the old days the way i used to do this on this show is i would say when you sat down next to someone on a plane or on the bus or on the subway and you introduced yourself what did you know you would say what you do now in the pandemic it's a little bit harder with masks and people don't sit down right next to each other anymore but uh you know just introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do
3: So my name is Jasmine Johnson. I am one of the co-founders of a Free Community Fridge in East Harlem called the Barrio Fridge. And I am a chef. So by definition, I'm still feeding people and educating people about food, which is great. Um, And that's what we're doing at our fridge right now.
2: Awesome. Um, so as a chef, what was, you know, where, where did you cook? What kind of food did you uh, sort of specialize in before the pandemic? And, you know, are you still working now in that role as a chef outside of the fridge?
3: Um, I was at a few restaurants, Belay um, at Home, which is a Michelin-starred restaurant in New York, fancy Smancy, But I was yeah. also at a campus, a public school campus in the Bronx. Nice. Working in a school kitchen there. So I had both ends of what, both extremes of what the industry can be. Sure. Which was a lot of awesome exposure. And as of right now, um, since the school year ended, we were working remotely through June, which was awesome that we were able to even do that. Right. Uh, So since June, I have not been working. Got it. So really, the fridge at this infancy stage, it's, at its first 30 days we just passed the first 30 days so it's really been almost like operating a restaurant in terms of if restaurants were free
2: right um
3: i offered free food <laughs> that uh the sourcing and those kinds of things getting our volunteers on the ground all of those elements have pretty much been a full-time job so yeah
2: that's so for rough. for li- for listeners who don't know, um there is a a movement that didn't I you know, as I understand it kind of it, it's very loose, but it did start uh actually before the pandemic, the idea of having free fridges, people may have seen free tiny libraries things like that uh in in neighborhoods, but really uh especially in urban environments since the pandemic started, there has been a huge sort of decentralized move towards people putting in and setting up Uh refrigerators that are stocked with food that are free for anybody who wants it. And that can take a lot of different forms. And I would love to hear from you, Jasmine, about the Barrio fridge and how you kind of manage what that looks like. Because as I've been following it and looking at it, some of the fridges seem like, you know, people are stocking them from their gardens in some places with fresh produce. Mm. Sometimes it's items that get donated out of soup kitchens. Uh sometimes it's canned goods that appear on like a pantry next to the fridge, along with things Mm -hmm. that have to stay cold. And then it's also people, and I, you know know like yourself who are chefs who are cooking food to then put into the fridge so that there are in fact meals ready to go not just raw ingredients right
3: yeah so the fridges all let me start with this the fridges all operate independently within their communities and are led by volunteers right so our fridge is founded by three chefs so we had a fairly clear vision in terms of what we wanted food wise in the community. Uh, We wanted to focus on foods that can heal our community. Food pantries are in abundance in East Harlem, and I don't know if you've ever looked in a food pantry box, but it's like crystallized eggs and beef stew in a bag and things, foods that are not healing anybody. Um, So we focus on farm fresh produce uh, from farmer's markets and Uh, throughout the city we focus on uh, foods that we have partners like juice press chop things that we want that I want in my fridge things that you would probably want in your fridge too um, available free of charge for our community because some whether you're food insecure or not hunger is a you know everyday part of of life and so whether it is that, you know, you're walking by. I love when kids look in the fridge. Um, they always um, look in, peek in, and see if they want a snack. And I always tell them to look. I always, And that's what part of it being an education tool is Is when it first arrives, a lot of our community members were like, what is this? What, how, how, who's doing this? And they would see us by the fridge, whether we were cleaning it or restocking it or what have you, and we just, tell them to take a look open it and they would open it see that everything is really beautifully displayed in there it smells clean we clean it like two three times a day right and it makes it more inviting than a supermarket and seeing the variety that we have in there makes it an exciting uh, kind of experience so now I see neighbors oftentimes come down with a little plastic bag so that they can go kind of grocery shopping within our within our (laughs) fridge, right. which is awesome that it's been able to turn into a resource like that in comparison to what was already available. The um, food pantry things are not ideal for anyone to be sustaining themselves also. Um, and additionally, we have a lot of citywide prepared meals going around that there was uh, maybe once or twice someone came in and stopped the entire fridge like floor to ceiling with those little packaged just like a pasta a fruit I forget what other there was four compartments in there so I forget what was else was in there and no one took it
0: Hmm.
3: no one wanted it they've eaten it they don't want any more of it but when we put in um, beautiful produce when we put in uh, or washer's bread is one of our partners when we put in juice press or juices or fat goes. People want that. Right. Our community wants and deserves the good stuff. So yeah, that's I, when we I, focus on sourcing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting thing to understand that there is a difference between um, what might be considered like emergency food during like a natural disaster. Where mm-hmm. people need calories, where you are in intense situations like, you know, after a hurricane or a tornado. And, you know, sure, like you might eat the food that's not great because you don't have another option for the next 48 hours. But the goal is to get to a point where, like, you get back to having the normal food that you want to eat versus what we're talking about here, which is not that. We're talking about people who, uh are you know might be in a situation where they're hungry or might be in a situation where they don't know if they're gonna have enough money for food and where it's not that kind of like disaster emergency situation where you just need calories from powdered eggs but you want to have real food and i think that that's a real important you know distinction to draw in the way that we think about things like this um And especially moving forward, right? I mean, if we are looking at the potential in this country for a severe economic collapse or problem that has already started, and people are going to be hungry. And, you know, if they have to choose, you know, I've read some studies and read some things and talked to people that, you know, housing usually comes first. And so people want to make sure they have a roof over their heads, and so they're going to go without food. And so if this provides them with that opportunity, I think that's you know that that's an incredible project. And to be able to help your own community and to have neighbors be doing that rather than having some outside agency or organization coming in, I really, you know, I, I commend you and everyone else who is operating these fridges that I think that's, you know, it's really an incredible project.
3: Thank you. Yeah, because we do tr- listen to our community. Once that the, the two times that those pre-made little meals came in and we were like, okay, this is just taking a place in our fridge. Right. What? how can we do better? Um, another one of our partners over at the Met sends over pre-made sandwiches and salads. Those go. So. Our neighborhood loves them. So it's yeah. not a matter of it being a pre-made item. It's a matter of what the quality is. Right. Um, what our neighborhood is accustomed to, what they like exposing them to new produce has been an exciting educational opportunity as well, because when we get um, carrots from the farmers or onions, they know, they know what to do with that. But when we get kohlrabi or um, some of these root vegetables, even though our community, a lot of the people are from agricultural environments, they'll still throw them through a loop and they're like, what do I do with this? Do I boil it? And that's when we get to interact more with them and or even ask what they would make with it. Um, when I see kids at the fridge, I ask them like how to say something in Spanish, even if I know, just to get them to engage. And Parents usually see what I'm doing when I'm like, oh, what do you, how do you say this? What would you do with this? And Or where does this grow? Because we also have a community garden next door. Mm. And so we rescued mycelium blocks And our community garden right now is actually growing them, growing mushrooms, oyster mushrooms for the fridge in the garden. So it's kind of almost that farm-to-table situation going on. And it's awesome that we are able to engage with our community garden like this. And a lot of times our community garden manager will bring over people and introduce them to the fridge and um, she loves us congregate in her garden from time to time when we need space and it's it's been great to get more involved in the community, to get to know our neighbors. They know us. When we're walking down the street, I'll hear somebody yell after me and ask, like, what's in the fridge today? And I'll be like, I don't know, go check.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit RT11.com.
2: How do you and the and the other folks who are managing that fridge, um, you know, how how does the organization of it work? Can anybody in the community bring things to contribute? Like if somebody has a case of oranges, do they just bring it down and stick it in the fridge?
3: absolutely we love when the community shares and community contributions are a big help a lot of the canned products that we get are canned products from the food pantries that people don't want so right. then they'll bring it down and so a pantry has started on its own from that um but if you have anything you want to share our only ask is that if there no space to just bring it back because there have been days that we received more contributions than we could fit from right. the community alone, not even like our efforts to rescue from different places. And that has been, that's happened a few times and it's just finished. We, we've been astounded that the community has engaged with us and has been so open to sharing with us and with each other through the fridge like this. Uh, but we uh, get scared that our landlords will get upset <laughs> by, by our mess. So, Um, We always just ask them to, like, please bring it back when there's space in the fridge. Please, you know, be mindful of, like, not making a mess, those kinds of things. But the community, definitely, there's been times that one day I walked by, the fridge was fine. I went to the garden. I had a chat with the um, garden manager. And I came back, and somebody had picked bricks and put them underneath the fridge because it was on, like, a little slant. And they basically put shoes on her, which was the sweetest, most, and they did it so quickly too. And it was so lovely that, and there's, we have, uh, and I have a million stories like that. We have a, um, an electrician on the block who one day we had, our door was, it just never slammed right. I'm walking by and he's like, I fixed your door. See you later. And he just kept walking. <laughs> and I was like, thanks Matt. He's kind of like our fridge dad now, whenever something goes wrong, he, just so happens to be there and I'll be standing there with like a handle in my hand and I'm like, I don't know how to put it back on. He'll be like, just give it to me. Give it to me go.
2: (laughs) That's so, I mean, that's great. And I feel like, you know, it's very interesting that to me, that is very much what neighborhoods are about. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 to a certain extent, I feel like, you know, maybe it's what neighborhoods used to be about a little bit more when things were a little bit more family oriented, maybe or maybe people, uh, you know, worked closer to their neighborhoods or whatever. And I think it's really, you know, it, it's so uh, it's nice to hear. And it, I think it is a positive outcome of this crazy situation that we're all in to hear that there are neighborhoods and that the neighborhood is coming together around this thing and that, you know, people are helping each other in that way because I, you know, sometimes I feel like it's very easy and, and has been for me certainly in the last five or 10 years to get very kind of down on, the city or the neighborhoods and feeling like, oh, it's changing, it's not the way it used to be, it's not the way I remember it or people leave the city or buildings get torn down and high rises get put up and those kind of things. So I feel like that's a real positive outcome.
3: For sure, born and raised in New York and I feel that a thousand percent, but every day I'm at the fridge, it makes me realize more and more how rich in culture and community East Harlem already was and this was just another um, opportunity for the community to come together and to help one another more. And to answer your question about how our fridge really operates, um, I focus on a lot of the sourcing and the partnerships. We have a co-founder on the ground who is our day-to-day fridge keeper. We have about, I wanna say like 15 volunteers who kind of do like wellness checks on her, who clean and restock her. Um, and additionally, we have a bunch of partners who are and so helpful in allowing us to rescue from them. So then the, uh, there's an element of transport that comes into this, uh, whether we're rescuing from sister fridges or locations that some of our sister fridges might have scheduled um, in Brooklyn, and then they're going to bring it all the way up to our fridge. There's one across town in West Harlem. Uptown and we have three in the Bronx. So that's usually the route when you come up. And a lot of times when we rescue and we build these relationships with farmers, um, they have opportunities for like 100 pounds of produce. One of our partners from working with produce, um, Farmer Joe, when I first met him our first week in operation, he was, I was like, I told him about the fridge. He was like, okay, cool, come back at 3.30. I have 100 pounds of produce for you. And I was like, I have no way to
0: move (laughs) this
3: produce. I don't have a car, I cannot drive. Um, Where am I gonna store 100 pounds of produce for one fridge? So um, I reached out to the network of all of the fridges, and there was a driver who was like, I could do it today, but I can't do it again. And then there was another driver who was like, I can't do it today, but I could do it ongoing. And I was like, okay, cool. So from there, um, they rescued and were able to restock all sister all six of our fridges up in upper Manhattan and Bronx. And that's happened time and time again. So we share when we can. Um when there's smaller rescues, smaller, more local rescues. Um that's when each bridge kind of operates more independently. Yeah. But we all do we all do what we do, you know?
2: Yeah. What um what sorts of things, so if people are listening to this and become inspired, whether in other neighborhoods in New York or anywhere else in the country or even in the world, and they think this is something that they want to try to get started for their own community, um, you know, are there things that you wish you'd thought about ahead of time before putting it together? Like is it as easy as just like finding a refrigerator and plugging it in on the sidewalk?
3: You have to find the refrigerator, you have to plug it into a partner uh, business that yep. would be um, willing and able to share power with you.
2: Yep.
3: You have to really build a community of people that will help you because one person operating this is it's a lot. It right. is a lot. So I would say do it with the team, do it with your community. More people will come. Your 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 tribe will present themselves. Right. But if you do not have a background in food, then I highly, highly, highly recommend you do some sort of food safety disaster. I, I believe I saw like a disaster relief food safety, probably mm. Google that, um, course, probably like 20 minutes. If you have no background in food, you need to know what, what you're dealing with, right. first of all. So um, our fridge, we don't do meat. Um we have a indoor refrigerator outside in the middle of New York City summer. So it's like 95 degrees out. Yeah. Our, our refrigerator is not meant for that, but <laughs> here we are. So certain things like we have a bunch of cans that can't... Um, they suck up all we're learning as we go. They suck up all the cold air inside the fridge and then if they're outside of the fridge, they're gonna like we're scared they're gonna explode. Like every day we're just waiting for one to explode. Right. So we have to think of those things. Um, even if you're cleaning several times a day, if you're like, No, it's fine, I'll do meat, it's like you are clean several times a day. You really risk cross contamination if you want if you allow meat in there.
0: Sure. Uh
3: you have to figure out what you do want. You have to pay attention to what your community does like once you get it running. Uh, you have to just think about safety of the fridge. Um, you have to weatherproof it. Those are all things that are running through our heads every day, especially there was just the hurricane that came by. Right. And we were someone, one of our um, volunteers, I don't even think she's a volunteer. Somebody DM'd us a photo, a video of the freezer door, like flying open in the wind. And, um, and was like, you should probably go check on the frame. <laughs> and our co-founder ran out and tasted up in the middle of like, it looked like a monsoon, she was soaking wet, and then maybe like five minutes later it cleared up and everything was fine again.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so, so it's uh, a ton of work obviously, um, to to keep it up. But I, you know, I really I think it's it's such a it's such a wonderful um, it's such a wonderful thing. Do you think that this is something that, you know, I mean, it obviously this movement has blossomed given the current pandemic and economic situation. Is this something that you think in five years Let's say if New York is back to being what we you know what we thought of as normal theoretically in like say January of this year, do you think that these fridges will still exist and that this will still be a part of the community?
3: I'm curious to see how we make it through the winter mm. with these fridges. Right. Um, having being going through the extreme of summer right now, and knowing that some of our resources such as our farmers' markets close um, right after right. Thanksgiving time. Um, I also imagine people standing outside trying to receive rescues, or you know, wash the fridge, clean out the fridge when it's like zero degrees out, or when there's six feet of snow. So those are questions that I have in my mind all the time. I think that by then, though, the city will either. I think that there will either be this will either cause a shift in food policy where this is supported in some way or it will be the norm by then and it will just continue. Right. But I only see it growing. I we have DMs in our um Instagram every day about people wanting to launch one in their community and how can they do it. So I do see it growing as the need continues to grow and pandemic or not, hunger is still very real. And so I don't see that going anywhere.
2: Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. What is the Instagram of The Fridge and where can people follow you?
3: We are at The Barrio Fridge. Awesome. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook.
2: I believe that's it. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you, Jasmine. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you today.
3: You too. Have a good one. Appreciate you too.
2: Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Go follow at The Barrio Fridge for more info on the work that Jasmine and her collaborators are doing. You can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. and to your email at the bottom of our website. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.